the portion of Scripture that we want to spend a few moments with to allow it to speak to us and to work in our lives is taken from Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13 today. Let's be standing, please, as we open our hearts to hear the Word of God. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. May God bless the reading of his word. I think I've mentioned before that uh, one of the most touching times to me in our service is When I'm standing up here having read the word and Brian's leading a song and I just get to sort of look out and um, I take that song off. I hope y'all will forgive me for that because I just uh, get to look out and see your faces, see who's here. And uh, it really moves me because for so many of you, I know a lot about your story and uh, where you are right now and what you're going through. And for some of you, that's good things. And for some of you, it's still very difficult times, and uh, it, it just uh, to bring all of us together as the people of God, where we can receive the comfort and the power of God to make it through this next week is truly a blessing. Well, driving down the highway, you see these signs all the time. In my family, we've referred to them jokingly as hysterical markers, but what you see is usually a sign that says, historical marker, one mile. And I don't know if you're like I am or not, but I really want to stop at every one of those. Uh, I'm into history. I enjoy reading about history. And every time I see one, I think, oh, something important happened here, and I'd like to stop. I rarely ever do because it seems like I'm always in a hurry. I've got to get from one place to the other and just don't stop and, and read it. Sometimes when I'm going past it at 70 miles an hour, I'll try to look over and see. Do any of you ever do that? See if you can just see the top line or the, the main caption there and get some idea about what it is that happened. A few years ago, I got a hold of a book that's out. It's called, I think it's the name of it is Why Stop? And it lists, it gives you the inscriptions that are on all the historical markers in the state of Texas. And you can look them up and find them. For one thing, it didn't work very well with me because so many times I'm by myself and I can't very well get a book, you know, and turn. I don't, do they have that on an app yet? Maybe I could get the, but anyway, try to find it. And then I'm not smart enough. The reference system they had in that book was a little too complicated for me. So by the time we did find the actual one, if someone was in there with me and could read it to me, we were 10 miles down the road. The moment was over and we had missed it. But I really am always drawn to a place where something happened that was of such significance that somebody or a group of somebodies felt like it would be important for posterity to remember that and to know that this is where that happened. And if we do stop and take time to read about what happened there, we not only learn about history, 
Sometimes, surprisingly, you sort of learn a little bit about yourself. And maybe the event that happened there, you can see, is not just something out there, but something that really has in some way molded and shaped our lives as well. This is one reason why God's people are always called upon to set up historical markers. You know, God didn't just call us to be a people of interior life and inward thoughts. Many times we kind of make our religion and our faith just that. It's something sort of going on inside of us. And we think of ourselves as as a spirit or a soul that's kind of living inside this shell of a body. And then when we die, the real us kind of flies away. Well, that's kind of nice thinking, but it's really not biblical. If we really read Scripture, we see that you can't really separate body and soul. That when God came to us, he came not only to save our souls, he came to save the whole being and the body. Our hope is not just for the interior part of us to live forever, but the promise of Christianity and the promise of our faith is that these bodies will be resurrected, renewed, and will live again. That for eternity, as Paul said, we will not be disembodied beings floating around in outer space somewhere in heaven. We will be embodied beings granted with new bodies, glorified bodies, bodies similar to the resurrection of Jesus himself. Remember when Jesus was resurrected, the people knew him, they saw him, and yet he was different as well. And John tells us later on in his epistle that whenever he comes back for us, we'll all be changed and we will be like him. So God is interested in the physical too. God uses the physical to help us in our spiritual journey. And he always calls upon us to have real markers in our lives that we can see and we can touch and we can remember what it is that he has done for us. One of the stories that jumps to my mind when we think about things like this is the story of when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. You remember that story? They'd been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and and leaving enough time for all those who had made that terrible decision not to go into the promised land because they were frightened that they couldn't defeat the people and the armies that were there. And so God had said, okay, until that whole generation save two people, Joshua and Caleb, are gone, then you will be in the wilderness. Well, finally, after 40 years, it was time to go across, and they came to the Jordan River, and the Jordan River was at flood stage. You know, the, the water was out of this bank, out of that bank, and, and yet they were supposed to cross it. Well, the priest, a high priest, and the, the, the priest in charge of the, the Ark of the Covenant, bore, bearing the Ark of the Covenant on the poles, they began walking to the river, and as soon as their feet touched the river, the river stopped. And the water built up to the north, And then to the south, there was dry land. And they were able to walk across the river and into the promised land on dry land. Now, as they were doing that, Joshua, who is now leading the people after Moses had died, Joshua calls upon 12 people, 12 men, one from each of the 12 tribes, that as they cross the river, they are to pick up a stone and put it on their shoulder. Not a little rock, but a stone, as big a one as you can pick up. 
You pick that up, you put it on your shoulder, you carry it across, and then when you get to the other side, we're going to stack these stones one on top of another, and we're going to build a memorial. We're going to build a historical marker. And what this is going to do is that in the years to come, the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren who didn't make this journey will see this marker, and they will point at it and say, hey, Dad. Hey, Mom. Hey, Granddad. What do these stones mean to you? I love the way that that's phrased in Joshua. They're not to say, why are these stones here? What's the deal with these stones? They are to look at you and say, tell me what these stones mean to you. And those then who walked across the river will be called upon to tell their story. And wouldn't that be an amazing story to hear? I don't know what they would talk about. Maybe they would talk about, you know, it's just amazing. We got to this river, and it was so wide, and we knew we couldn't get across it. And then all of a sudden, the priest stepped into the river holding the Ark of the Covenant, and it just stopped. Or maybe they would talk about, you know, for 40 years, we lived out in the wilderness. We were camping out, and it was God took care of us, but it was not the best way to live. And we were just so excited that finally we were going to get to cross this river and come on the other side and put down roots and have real homes. Or maybe they might even talk about, you know, when I walked across this river, I was scared to death because I knew that we were going to have to fight battles on this other side. And I didn't know what was going to happen. And I was scared, and yet God led us through it, and he took us through it, and God has brought us to where we are today. All because there would be something physical there, something to see, something to touch. There's other accounts of things like that. One more very quickly is is I love the story of the Ebenezer. We know that one pretty well. We sing the song, Here I Raise My Ebenezer. And that comes from a story in Samuel, doesn't it? where Samuel was leading the the children of Israel against the Philistines, and the Philistines were well organized. They were the military power of the area, and the Israelites didn't have much of an army. They had to depend upon God's help to win their battles. And the people were frightened once again, and all of a sudden, uh, God thundered out, and he sent the Philistines into uh, chaos, and the children of Israel won another battle. And Samuel said, we're not going to forget this. We need something physical. We need something we can touch. We need something we can see. Because we're that kind of people. We're as physical as we are spiritual. And we need to have something in our lives that's there right in front of us to remind us. And so they took a big rock and they set it up on its end. And Samuel said, we're going to call this rock Ebenezer, which means rock of help. And he says, this is because the Lord has brought us this far This is where we are. So we need these things. We need the physical because we are physical people. And we need the physical in order to understand our spiritual journey because the two really cannot be separated. Now, why are we talking about all of this? Because I believe that the passage we just married today tells us about another historical marker that God has given us in our lives. And it's not one mile ahead. It's right there. Right here in front of us. Right there behind the screen, behind the curtain. Do you know what's back there? It's a pool of water. You think, oh yeah, it's just a pool of water. But it's not just any pool of water. 
This is very special water. Now, no, it hasn't been blessed. We're not talking about being holy water in that sense. But that water did not come from Lake Ivy or Lake Nasworthy. The water in that pool came from the Jordan River. Oh, no, it didn't. Yes, it did. It came from the Jordan River. Uh, We could make that claim based on several things. I mentioned in early service today, and and Trey Smith was here, and he got all excited about this because he had read the book and helped me out with it. But I remember reading before how a, a, a mathematician had figured out that if you take a deep breath... Anybody want to do that with? Okay. All right. You took a deep breath. All right. Chances are that you inhaled at least one molecule of air that had once been breathed by Julius Caesar. It's true. And, and I was saying that I think if you took a hundred breaths, the chances, if Trey said, no, no, no. If you take a deep breath, the chances are over 99%. And hey, he's got his PhD in math. We've got to believe him. All right. The chances are over 99% that you inhaled at least one molecule of air breathed by Julius Caesar. Now, is that fun or not? Okay. Well, but we got something better than that. When you go down into the waters of baptism, whether it be in this pool or in a river or in some other place setting, when you go down into the waters of baptism, you are entering the same water that once was entered by our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at that for a moment and play that out in our mind's eye and see what that means. Matthew tells us this particular story. We know that the baptism of Jesus is very important because all four of the gospel writers give us some account of it. Matthew's account is pretty straightforward, and it's almost like Matthew uh, took, uh, took on the, or suddenly became Mark. You know, Mark is the gospel writer that everything's just like this. Well, Matthew, when he tells the story of the baptism of Jesus, he's very direct And particularly what he is interested in here is sort of an apologetic thing. Uh, Apologetic not in the sense of saying he's sorry, but of defending something of the faith. Uh, People of Matthew's day were already beginning to question some very uh, vital parts of their faith. And so when Matthew wrote his gospel, he wrote a long apology and pointed out particularly some of the things that some folks were struggling with. For example, when he tells the story of the birth of Christ, he doesn't really tell the story of the birth. He tells it about Joseph. We talked about that a few uh, weeks ago. But the point is that some people were already beginning to question the idea of the virgin birth of Jesus. And so when he tells the story, he, he really nails it down that this is true. This is what happened, that, that Jesus was born of the virgin Mary, and he was not physically Joseph's child. So if you go back and read chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Matthew, you'll find all of that information there. Well, whenever he tells the story of the baptism of Jesus, some people are beginning to say, now, wait a minute. Why did Jesus have to be baptized? Because after all, John was baptizing people for repentance. John was baptizing people so that they would have their sins forgiven. Why is it that Jesus would come and be baptized? Some people were beginning to say, well, Jesus was a sinner before he was baptized. You know, that maybe that's it. And other people were saying, well, he wasn't really baptized. And so there were all kinds of funny ideas going on. So Matthew wrote the account 
to let us know that when Jesus came to be baptized, that John knew that Jesus was sinless. John knew that he did not need to be baptized by him for the forgiveness of sins. That's why John says, wait a minute. I'm the sinner here. If anybody's going to be baptized, you need to baptize me. And Jesus gives the reason for his baptism. When he turns to John and says, no, we need to do this. And if you'll let me paraphrase it, I think I can give you the meaning that's, that's true. He says, we need to do this because it's the right thing to do. Now, I know our versions say to fulfill all righteousness. And we sometimes get off on righteousness being like Paul talked about righteousness. But no, no, no. He's just saying this is the right thing to do. In other words, God has called upon all human beings to be baptized. And I'm a human being. If every human is to be baptized, then I, being human, need to be baptized. When God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, he became just like us. And in essence, what Jesus is saying is, I'm not going to ask any of you to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. All I'm asking of you is to go and to do as I have done. And you know, if there were no other reason to be baptized, and there are so many reasons about baptism, so much written in the New Testament about the meaning of baptism and the depth of baptism and and all that it does for us in our lives, but we wouldn't have to have any of that if we just have this story, that Jesus went down into the Jordan River and was baptized. Then I would want to do that too. I would want to follow my Lord and do exactly what he did. But there is more about it. Because when Jesus walked into that water, he was identifying himself totally as human. And when I walk down into that water, I'm walking into the same water that Jesus stood in. Now, it may not be the same molecules, but it's the same water. The Apostle Paul talks about this later when he talks about in Romans chapter 6, that whenever we step into the waters of baptism, we touch Jesus. That we are baptized into his death. We are buried with him. And we are resurrected to live with him again. And as we feel that cool water, sometimes this water up here is really cold. And sometimes it's really hot. It's always a surprise. But when we feel that water on our skin, it, it, it's physical. It's something real. Because something real is happening there. Not magic, just real. That we are doing just what our Lord did. And that in doing that, we are touching Him and identifying with Him. And we have that marker in our lives. Because, you know, sometimes those of us who have been baptized in this room, if in, those of us in this room who have been baptized, let me say that one. You may not were baptized in this room, although many of you were. Right? Those of you who have been baptized, there are times, aren't there, where you start thinking, well, did I really know what I was doing? Maybe I was too young. Maybe I just didn't do it for the right reasons. Or maybe you start thinking, you know, I was baptized and I had the best of intentions, but wow, I have not been the person that I intended to be when I was baptized. And you start doubting whether that experience worked or not. Let me tell you, it worked. Because you were in the water with him. And he was the one doing the work. And he touched you. And he changed you forever. 
Because after all, you went into his death. You were buried with him. And now you are living as a person who is united with Jesus Christ. So when you see that marker, remember that and claim that. There's one more thing, and I've got like two minutes, I'm going to throw it in, that, that uh, I mentioned in first service too. David Gay and I did not talk at all this week. In fact, I was supposed to call him and tell him he needed to, to do the, the communion meditation. I even forgot to do that. So it kind of blew me away when he got up in early service, and he began talking about creation. And then he quoted what, Jesus, what God said to Jesus in the baptism. This is my son. Right? And I thought, Wow. We didn't talk about that, but David got it. He put creation and baptism together because that's exactly what Matthew is doing in his account too. If you go back and think about the creation story, it all started with water, didn't it? And what was hovering over the water? The Spirit of God. And then God spoke, and it all began. And that's exactly what happens here in Matthew as well. There's the water, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the water again, this time in the form of a dove, and it's God who speaks, and the ministry and the work of Jesus begins. In creation, God calls out of chaos order, and He starts everything into motion and puts it into a direction. And in the waters of baptism, out of the chaos of my life, and out of the chaos of my sins, God brings order through his mercy and through his forgiveness. This is a historical marker. And every time we see a baptismal pool, or every time we see a pool of water, that we know can be this holy use, then we remember that God is at work to call, and to redeem. How many baptisms have you guys seen? Anybody ever counted them? <laughs> Can't, can you? I mean, if you grew up going to church, you, you've seen hundreds, thousands. I don't know. I, I've seen them. I've participated in them. And, of course, there's the best one of all, which was mine. Uh, I got that filed away in my memory bank as well. But when I was thinking about the times that I've stood at this memorial and watched it again, There's one in particular that that really jumps out at me. And it happened when I was a young man, and I was sitting up at the front of the church building with some other young folks. And, you know, we were used to people being baptized. It happened quite regularly. But normally it was a young person, usually 12, 13. That seems to be about the time that we feel comfortable with, with baptism in churches of Christ. Sometimes it was someone a little older who had kind of put it off for a while. Maybe they might be, you know, old, like 18 or 19 or something like that. But, but not yeah, just usually teenagers. Well, one Sunday morning, we were singing the invitation song, and down the aisle comes this woman, quite elderly, stooped, and unable really to walk more, was shuffling. Remember, it took her a long time. I think the song leader sang a couple of more verses, you know, <laughs> to finally get her down the aisle. And she got down and sat down on the pew. We thought, my goodness, what's going on with her? Uh, you know, she's too old to sin. We, <laughs> we know we're not going to hear some big confession here. Um, What's going on? Well, the preacher sits and talks to her, and he gets up and says, 
we're going to have a baptism. And we go, what? You know, how are they going to get this woman up the stairs to the baptistry? Well, what's going to go on? Well, he had her stand up, took her confession, and then he led her off, and the song leader got up and led not one song, but I think two, three. <laughs> While, and we know that, that she was struggling to change her clothes and get ready for this. And so finally, it came time, and the preacher walked out into the baptistry, and he helped her down. And we could sort of see the top of her head because she was all kind of stooped over. And, and we were sitting on the edge of our seats seeing what would happen. Is, is he going to be able to get her into the water and then back up again? What's going to happen with all this? So he said what's said over all who are baptized. I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins that you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he took her and he gently laid her down in the water. And when he pulled her up, she jumped and threw up her hands and said, Hallelujah! And we were all like, Whoa! Don't see that. Wow. Hallelujah indeed. Because she got it. And she knew that she had been in the water with Jesus. And that she who probably, I don't know, I, I don't, couldn't really tell you how much longer she lived. But it couldn't be more than a couple of years. But she knew that it was going to be okay because she had already tasted death, the death of her Lord. And she had been buried in the real her was now awake and walking and living. So, I don't know what you think of when you see a baptistry, but I do hope you remember that that's where you touched God. That's where you touched the very flesh of Jesus because you're standing in the same water that He stood in. And I pray that as you walk away from that historical marker, that your soul is touched and that you leave that experience with the determination to go out and to live it even better. Let's stand and sing.